the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. Ezekiel 33, verse 31. The scripture says, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Ten-year-old Donald had mailed out birthday invitations to eight of his friends. On the day of the celebration, they came over and had a uh, after school and they played football outside until it was dark. There were hot dogs in the grill and mom had made a very special cake for Donald. And after eating the dogs and having the cake, having ice cream, it was time for the presents. Donald didn't really remember any presents that day since he hadn't, didn't have any brothers. Just being with his eight friends was gift enough. And the climax of this grand celebration on his birthday was a gift that Donald was going to give to his boys. He was going to pay their way to the most exciting event in town, the high school basketball playoff game. When they arrived at the gym, they spilled out of the van with laughter and they ran to the window to pay for their tickets. This was the perfect ending for this boy's perfect birthday. Four friends on one side, four friends on the other, with Donald sitting in the center. Then the golden moment was shattered. Once they got in the gym, all of Donald's friends scattered, and he never saw them again the rest of the night. There were no thanks for the fun, no thanks for the food, no thanks for the tickets. Not even a happy birthday. I'm going to go sit with someone else. Without a word of gratitude or goodbye, they all left without looking back. Donald spent the rest of that basketball game and the rest of his 10th birthday in absolute misery. This is the perfect picture of the way most Christians treat Christ in worship. You come to an event where he's the guest of honor. You're invited to an event where he's the guest of honor. Every Sunday he's the guest of honor. But it's possible to give him a routine gift sing a few customary hymns, and then totally neglect him while you focus on others and have your mind on other things rather than on God. While worship is a duty, it is ultimately the delight of all Christians to worship their creator. Jesus, when tempted by Satan to fall down and worship him, said, 
In Matthew 4, verse number 10, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only him shalt thou serve. Clearly, God expects us to worship him. Psalm 95, verse 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. True worship of God is every Christian's ultimate purpose. However, it's possible to attend a church service. It's even possible to have your quiet time and all the while be worshiping in vain. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. It is the height of hypocrisy to read our Bibles, to pray simply out of duty without heartfelt devotion, and even attend church services out of social religiosity without seeking to increase a relationship with God. What is worship? Several years ago, the men went through a book called How to Worship Jesus by Joseph Carroll. And he defined worship this way. He said the word worship comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, worth-sip, which later became worth-ship. To worship God is to ascribe the proper worth to him, to magnify his worthiness of praise, to approach and address God as he is worthy. I ask you, are you properly worshiping Jesus Christ. Now, in the background of this context, the nation of Israel was taken into captivity, and God, in His grace and mercy, spoke to the prophet Ezekiel. Two years earlier, Jerusalem was laid siege, and God commanded Ezekiel to be silent. In chapter 33, God instructed Ezekiel to resume speaking as a prophet. God hadn't abandoned Israel. But he was silent and inactive as a form of letting Israel see that without him, they would destroy themselves. And that's what was happening. They needed revival. And folks, I would much rather experience the punishment from God's hand than experience the lack of the presence of God's hand in my life. Here, God's hand was once again upon Ezekiel to prophesy to his people Verse number 22. And although God wanted to reach this nation, the tragic truth was they didn't want to hear from God. They put on a facade with no intention at all of getting any closer to God. This was empty worship, and this is why Israel needed a revival. And the same can be said for Christians today. The question I ask is, is our worship of him empty? If you're not intending to hear from God to draw closer to him and then be changed, then it is merely worship. So I want to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled from this verse, what empty worship looks like. What empty worship looks like. Notice, first of all, this is what empty worship looks like. I want you to see the manner of their attendance. The banner of their attendance. In verse number 31, it says, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people. The nation of Israel came to the prophet's place to hear the preacher. 
The attendance was at it as it should have been. And the verse says, they come as the people cometh. That gives an idea of that it was a customary thing that the people did. It was customary that they would come to the house where they should hear from God. And there was a man there who had a message from God. His name was Ezekiel. He had a message that would be profitable, uh, something spiritual to their souls. He had a message of edification to their spiritual wellness. He had a message that was confrontational to them. And, my dear friends, every week here at Anchor Baptist Church, there is one who has that same type of message, whether it be a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist, the man that God brings behind this pulpit is the man that God wants to present his message to us. And notice, it says, they sit before thee as my people. They were sitting in front of the preacher as normal, as is normal of human nature. I surmise that these people were most likely just like every church in America. People sat before the preacher in their normal spots. And if somebody sat in their place, oh, they get ruffled up. There's no diversity of location, no deviating from their seats. That's their spot. They sit before. That word before means in front of. It's normal. They sit in, in, in front before the, pe- the preacher, and they do so as God's people. You see, the Gentiles, they didn't do that. It wasn't the custom of Gentiles to come to the church. It wasn't the just uh, custom of the Gentiles to go to, the, to the, the temple worship. It was God's people. And how true it is that for many Christians, it's the same manner to go to the place, to the church, and sit in the same pew day, uh, week in and week out. Every month, same place, same spot, there's no deviation, and it becomes mechanical. That's what was happening with Israel. Not only do we see the manner of their attendance, but secondly, I want you to see the motive of their attendance, of the audience, excuse me, the motive of the audience. It says there, again, in verse number 31, it says, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. You got to take that phrase, highlight it, uh, underline it, whatever. But they will not do them. The people of God came to present their obligatory presence on the day of worship. They were very well, may have intellectually and intelligently heard what Ezekiel was saying. And we aren't told that they even disagreed with what the preacher was saying outwardly. Their motive all along, however, was not to do what they had heard. They come, they sit, they hear, but they will not do. They didn't respond. Maybe they were saying in their hearts, okay, that's good for you. But that's not good for that's it's not for me. Or maybe they were saying, Man, I wish so and so were here to hear this. They really could have used it. I want you to understand, my friends, not every sermon is about you, but in every sermon there's something for you. 
Let me say that again. Not every sermon is about you. But in every sermon, there is something for you. How often do we come to church with no intention at all of responding to what God has to say? When we enter into a service where the preaching of the word of God is happening, our attitude should be just like Samuel who said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. When the preaching is going on, where is our heart? How often do you go to church and hear what is being said, but don't listen to what is being said and have no intention at all of responding? When was the last time you actually responded to a message? What was their motive? Well, could it very well be that their motive was just to appease their conscience for the things that they did the week before? Or was it to appease their conscience to say obligatorily, I've done that which is my duty to do? Their motive was uh, for being there was not for spiritual reasons. It was not to get to know God. It wasn't to serve God in worship. It was for something else. How do we know that? Notice the next phrase. For we see the manner of their attendance and the motive of the audience. I want you to see their mechanical actions. It goes on to say, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear their words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. It was all mechanical action. In Aramaic, the interpretation of this Hebrew phrase, which is what is called a Hebraism, a Hebrew idiomatic phrase, the interpretation of that is best understood as this. They made game with their mouth. Think of that. They were just playing. It wasn't real. They were just playing. They seemed like they enjoyed what they were hearing. They seemed like they were meaning what they were singing. But it was just a game to them. And verse number 32 even tells us, if you look there, notice it says, And lo, thou art as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice. Wait a minute. Ezekiel came with a message of judgment. How in the world could they sit there and say that it was a lovely song coming from one with a lovely voice? They didn't grasp what was really being said. Ezekiel was warning them of judgment. You can read that all the way in verse number 21. God was saying, there's judgment coming. But to them, oh, what a lovely voice. And we're hearing a lovely song. It's like what happened in The Princess Bride. How many have ever seen that movie, The Princess Bride? You remember, (coughs) excuse me, at that fake wedding between uh, Prince Humperdinck and Princess Buttercup. Buttercup. At the end of that, Princess Buttercup was walking back to her chambers with the king. And as she was walking back to her chambers, Buttercup kissed the king on the cheek. And the king said, what was that for? And Buttercup said, because you always, you've always been so kind to me, I'll never see you again because I'm killing myself as soon as we reach the honeymoon suite. You remember how the king responded? Won't that be nice? You see, he wasn't really listening. His next words were, she kissed me. He was more concerned about the kiss than what was really going to happen. You see, he heard, but he didn't listen. And I'm sure 
that the nation of Israel here, they sang some songs. They heard a message. They socialized and fellowshiped afterwards. But it was all for show. They probably even came up to Ezekiel afterwards and shook his hand and said, Great sermon, prophet. How often has that happened to you? You come to church, hear a message, and then totally get nothing out of it because you weren't even looking to hear from God. You show much love with your mouth. But then lastly, I want you to notice number four, the last part of the phrase, their meaningless affection. It says, For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. The entire time the people were there to, quote, worship, their hearts were somewhere else. And again, that phrase, goeth after covetousness, is another Hebrew idiomatic phrase, a Hebrewism, meaning that they pursued their secular ways. Their worship was empty. They still wanted the worldly way. One commentator stated that they wanted the sermon to be over so that they could pursue their secular living. Let's put it in our vernacular. Finish up, pastor. I got stuff to do. Hurry up. I've got a reservation at the restaurant. These Israelites were guilty of being the soil full of weeds that choked the good seed of God's word as Jesus taught. Now, if the spirit of God has brought us under conviction in any way, how then should we respond? If you're here this morning and you're sitting there thinking, whoa, that, that's, that could be me. I could very well be guilty of that. You're on the right track. So the question of the hour is this. How can we worship God so that we don't worship in vain? Well, take your Bibles and go to John chapter number 4. John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. True worshipers shall worship the Father, and He gives two conditions. In spirit and in truth. And here's the beauty of it all. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The guest of honor is seeking people to do that. He wants that to happen. What do you think would happen? I will get a face full of flowers and a card probably thrown in my chest. If I'm not moved by love or affection for her as a person, the act, the roses, the card, it doesn't honor her. As a matter of fact, it belittles her. It dishonors her. They're a very thin covering for the fact that she doesn't even have the worth of beauty in my eyes to kindle some sort of affection, adoration, or emotion. All I can muster is a calculated expression of marital duty. Flower card, see ya. But isn't that what we do at church? Dress, Bible, sit down, sing, see ya. 
The real act of worship is not the outward duty to say or do ritualistic things. It's the inward desire and delight to express adoration towards God. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. If I took my wife out after the flowers and the card, and she says, Dave, why are you doing this? Why did you do this? The answer that honors her and delights her is... Because nothing, nothing makes me more happier than to be with you and spend time with you. If there's anything I could have in all the world is you. I want to let you in on a secret. It's not in my notes, but I've just, I just, this came. And I'm going to embarrass my wife because that's what we preachers do with our family. Last year, my wife did something that I cannot top. There's no way I can do it. But on the 1st of February, while I was doing my devos, she came down. She handed me this envelope. And she said, Dave, pick something out of that envelope. What in the world is going on here? So I picked out this, it's like a kid's sticker. And she said, all right. Well, that kid's sticker matched another sticker. And she went and got... When she left and came back with a present that had that sticker on it. And she, op- and she said, happy birthday. I said, well, it's not my birthday. She said, well, every day until your birthday, for the next seven days, you're going to pick out a sticker. And there's gonna, it, it corresponds with a present. And you're going to get a present every day until your birthday. And every one of those seven things, every day was something that I love. Something I enjoy, all the way down to the licorice. All right? And I thought to myself, this woman really knows me. Knows me better than anybody else. I don't even remember telling her I wanted these things, and here they are. I don't know. Maybe she got into my Amazon wish list or something. I don't know. (laughs) But you know what? That sent a message to me. That she cared. And that the birthday was not some obligatory present, card, dinner, thanks. She was saying, I love you. You matter. You are worthy. And you know what? Every Sunday, we ought to be coming to God and saying, Lord, you matter. You are worthy. You mean more to me than anything else. Are you here today because you're saying to God, it's my pleasure to worship you. I delight in you. And I'm ready to have you change my life. Or is your worship just, I'm here to do it. So number one, real worship of God should be our delight. Number two, real worship of God must be doctrinal. Again, in John 4, 24, they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And what's the next two words? In truth. truth. That's doctrinal. The problem with Israel was that they were not, the priests were not preaching doctrinally. Ezekiel 22 verse 26 says, Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Our worship must not be primarily emotional, although there should be some measure of it in that, 
but it also should be doctrinal and it must stay balanced. We cannot mingle worldliness in our worship of God and expect God to bless it. Our worship must be according to the truths of Scripture, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The balance of worshiping in spirit and in truth is complementary. How often have you engaged in worship but found no fire on the altar of your heart? It would be like the 850 false prophets at Mount Carmel who danced and got into that emotional frenzy with no doctrine and there was no fire that came down from heaven. True worship meditates on the truth of God and rightly done with a balance of adoration and affection to God and the truth of God's word, the fire comes down from heaven. Do you truly love Jesus with all your heart? soul, mind, and strength. Jesus doesn't want some of your heart. He's worthy of all of it. That's true worship. Jesus doesn't want some of your mind. He's worthy of all of it. That's true worship. Jesus doesn't want most of your abilities and talents and time. He is worthy of all of it. He gave it to you, so give it back to him. That's real worship. And I close with this. When you truly understand his worth, truly understand his value, truly understand his love, the only natural response is to give him worth-ship. And you would desire to give it and delight it, not out of mere duty. You will delight in it. Otherwise, anything else is empty worship. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kahiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.